You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. The Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. He is Logan Paulson. And unfortunately, we have to talk about the New York Giants. Uh, yeah, man. Yeah. It's, it's, been, it's been a time up in the Meadowlands this year. Uh, it's the commander's head that way. Now, of course, it's division game. Logan, throw out the records. We know that Daniel Jones, if he plays, and he was back in practice on a limited basis on Wednesday, uh, has been an absolute commander's killer. We know that MetLife Stadium has been an absolute house of horrors for Washington. Um, so let's actually kind of start there real quick. Bigger picture, not even the Giants. This is really just me pushing off having to talk about the Giants. Uh, but divisional <laughs> games, you know, to throw out the records, but you played in them. Like, Is it familiarity? Is it like a different emotional state? Like, What is it about divisional games that it doesn't seem to matter where the two teams are in their season? I think it's a little bit of everything. I think you get a really good feel for what your opponent's doing like um like physically like you know like what are the things what are the 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 points of contention or nervousness going into a game is like what does this guy do physically how does he move obviously you can study film but there's a different opportunity to kind of run around on a guy and um you know put your hands on somebody and kind of know what they like to do to shed and kind of get a feel for it and so as you get to know them better and they get to know you you kind of start playing that advanced like chess metric and i think the familiarity breeds like a faster game quality because like I know exactly what this defense is. I know exactly how they're going to play this run. We ran it against them, you know, 6 weeks ago. Let's see it again. And we ran it against them last year twice. You know what I'm saying? So you get a really good feel for that. And obviously like the fans in the stadium are, are just a little bit more up. And so I definitely think the the divisional thing is is real. And you talk about it differently. You talk about divisional games in the week in a different way. So it's definitely something that's 100% real and you know, in the context of the Giants, like for whatever reason, they just have a good feel for this team. They have a good, op- good feel, good opportunity. Like, um, you know, in our uh, take fives, we talked about some Giants stories. Like I had, I felt like during early, early in my playing career, I had a really good feel for what the Giants were doing. Like, I don't know what it was. I just, when I went to that game, I just felt like I knew them really well. And sometimes when the Giants play the Commanders, it's like you just they just have a good knack and feel for kind of the holes and the wrinkles in the defense and ways to scheme stuff open. So 
I think divisional games are so fun. They're so fun to watch. They're so fun to play in. Um, and I think they're fun to talk about because, like you said, even in this game where you know we're going to talk about the Giants here in a second, the Giants aren't a very good football team at the moment. Like, I don't know. And, and like, Tana, Santana Moss is the – like, this is his one of my favorite things he does. He's very consistent with his points of analysis. And anytime we're playing a divisional game, he's like, you, you like – you can't you can't count the other team out, and I think that's a hundred percent accurate. And so, whatever the record is, however bad the Giants have played, like this team, the Commanders need to come and like put their best foot forward and just say like we are the better football team, we're the better roster, and play like it. And I think ultimately that's what this game comes down to. Yeah, it's also Styles make fight. Uh, Styles makes fights. Styles make fights. Whatever yeah. whatever that saying is in the proper conjugation of those words. Uh, <laughs> that thing that happens that has me scared uh, if, to the extent that I'm scared of this Giants team this week. Defensively for them, Wink Martindale is the most aggressive defensive coordinator probably in the entire league. Um, certainly one of uh, with his blitzing nature. Uh, just lots and lots and lots and lots and lots of pressure. And we know that Sam and this offensive line, like the offensive line, as we've said a million times, is playing way better than uh, the numbers, so to quote unquote say, and a lot of fans think. Um, there's a great clip that's kind of going around Twitter yesterday where, you know, someone was like, how can people say, the analysts say that the offensive line is playing well? And the clip was one of the sacks where Sam ran right into a sack. Cornelius <laughs> Lucas like pushed the guy, uh, the, the end 15 yards upfield. Sam runs back into a sack and it's like, because that's on the quarterback. <laughs> um, but the, the one area where the O-line, and this is in conjunction with Sam as a young quarterback, has struggled a bit is blitz pickup. And it's been free runners and things like that, yeah. um, which, again, isn't always necessarily on the offensive line. It has to do with protection calls, and that's between Nick, uh, Nick Gates and Sam. And then how do you actually pick it up and just be a football player and find that free runner and try to, try to hit him? Um, so th there's all those kinds of things that are going to be way more in the spotlight this week um you know the giants offense is bad we'll get there but this giants defense is starting to play better um some of their rookie corners are are playing really well your guy yep. deontay banks who you loved in the draft has is, is been exceptional so far this season yep. so what challenges uh does this giants defense face for uh, a commander's offense that continues to be a mixed bag this year yeah well i think it starts like with the pressure you know the, the pressure that they're going to bring i think he pressures about 40 percent of the time only the minnesota vikings pressure more um, and I think I was a little surprised because in the Bills game, he brought the pressure way back. It was like 20% and they were all like simulated pressures, meaning he's not actually bringing extra rushers. He's bringing four. It's just a different pattern of four, which, you know, again, this team has had a hard time with, but it looked like he kind of was saying, and it's probably because of the Josh Allen thing, we're going to be a little bit less aggressive with the pressure. But in terms of, you know, his philosophy and something that Wink Martindale is always talking about, he's like, I develop my defensive game plan each week based off the offense's protection principles and if i'm watching the commanders i'm saying you know this is an interesting statistic like they have the the highest rate of unblocked pressure in the nfl but they're also like 30th in sacks so they're not like getting home with that pressure but against this team against sam howell if i'm him i'm saying if i can give a, a muddy picture in the back end you know maybe again simulated pressure zone droppers different rotations, different coverage shells, and apply pressure and get some of these free rushers. The way Sam Howell holds the football, all those pressures, a lot of those pressures are going to turn into sacks. And as we've talked about before, like sacks kill drives. You know, it just puts you in, uh, in a situation where you can't be successful offensively. You're behind the sticks, and it's hard to execute in those situations. So that's what I would say. I would say that if I'm Wink, I'm 
thinking very long and hard about the best ways to bring pressure. EB obviously likes to spread you out to help you identify the pressure, but I think Wink does a good job of developing pressure packages that stress protection rules. And I think ultimately with a young quarterback, that's going to be really challenging. So in conjunction with all, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say then, oh, it just then you have to get to like game plan, plan, game plan questions. So go ahead and finish your thought and then we'll yeah. get into that. So, and I also think on that side of the ball, and you alluded to this a little bit already, they have good personnel. Like Dexter Lawrence is, is maybe the best defensive player in the division. And I'm not, I know that comes like with a lot of really good football players, Duran, John, um, you know, Jalen yeah, Michael Carter. Parsons might want to have a word, but yeah, but like yeah. he's in that kind of conversation. Like there's yeah. just guys who are just physically dominant and in the same, I think the Michael Parsons comparison is very apt, like a guy that he's out there and he's going to win his one-on-one. And so you have to kind of cultivate a protection plan for a true nose, which is silly. Like I went, I went and watched all their protect their, their pressures and he probably accounts for 50% of them. And it's him using good pass rush technique, but he's also just a big, strong dude who's like lifting offensive linemen, grown men, into the quarterback's lap on three-step drops and running uh, line stunts with him and uh, Williams. I forget Williams' first name, number nine. Uh, Leonard, yeah. Leonard. And th- that's a very dynamic group inside. So that's something that, again, you got to take care of. I think Nick Gates is going to have a big day because he does play a true nose. He plays directly over the center. So it's going to be a lot of one-on-ones with him. Uh, Kayvon Thibodeau is a guy that I think people talk about a lot, but in the film study, he, you know, he's got four sacks. For him. I think he leads the team in sacks, but he's not like this dominant, overbearing presence like a guy like Max Crosby or Nick Bosa or Miles Garrett is. Like he disappears for long stretches of time, and he is successful against tackles who aren't very good. Like he had two two of his sacks come against the third string tackle for Seattle. He should have those sacks, right? He should win that matchup. Yeah. So yeah. also we were saying that going into last year though, and he ruined their day. Had the best game probably of his right. career. Yeah. So again, matchups make fights, obviously, right? And I think, like you said, that probably the best game of his career uh, in that in that was that week the the game. Oh, up they in were New York. they played him back to back. It was yeah. whatever 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 we, one that one was. <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, like a guy that fans get a lot of buzz about, but doesn't really. I don't think he deserves all the like he. Yes, he's he's a good football player, but he's kind of. He's, he's above average. He's not great. And I think that's where like I would draw the distinction. Bobby Okereke is absolutely balling his face off. And he's a guy that was a little bit up and down in Indianapolis. High-volume tackle guy, but again, one of those guys that never graded well because he's you know having coverage busts and all this kind of stuff. And for whatever reason, man, he is just – he's playing awesome. He's playing great football there. So – and then you mentioned the back end there, you know, Dory Jackson's not playing great, but Banks is playing really well. Their safeties are good for what they do. Isaiah Simmons has made some appearances where you're like, wow, like that's a big, that's fast, the first round pick guy. Yeah, yeah. Big, fast, physical guy. So they do have some pieces. And I think the thing, the crux of their defense is they are a little bit like Bobby Okereke. Am I saying that correctly? Is that right? Yes. Okereke. Thanks Okereke. Mike Rico for uh, yes. saying that properly on, on Sunday night football for yeah. me to know that that's how you say it. Yeah, so, um, so if it's wrong, it's Tariko's fault. Yeah, there we go. And so he's a little bit feaster famine as a player, and the defense is a little bit feaster famine. Like they are blitzing, and there's they're not always totally sound in the back end. They they leverage the back end in a bad way, but that chaos creates opportunities. You know, they had three turnovers against Miami. Like that's awesome. And I, I know they gave up almost 500 yards, but they gave three turnovers and a defensive touchdown. Like that's kind of what you're dealing with is a group that can that is looking for those big plays against the bills. They had a couple turnovers, right? They were able to do a ton of stuff like that. So I think in terms of sides of the ball to be worried about, 
the defense is very, very high, especially with Sam and what Sam does, you know, what Sam struggles with, right? Yeah, Which is it's, managing yeah. pressure. It's it's a bad matchup for the commanders if they let it. Um, it is a pressure happy team that will turn you over. And those are the two. I mean, look, that's not unique that those are the, the Achilles heel of the commanders. I think it's just more pronounced for Washington right. because like when the, I, I've, I've been making this analogy, uh, I don't know if this is technically an analogy. I've, I've been saying this the past couple of days that like if you if you like cryogenically froze some football scout in 2018 and they had no idea on who Sam Howell was and you unfroze them and you gave them a cut up and you said, this is all of Sam Howell's plays and you left out the sacks, they'd be like, this dude's incredible. Like he's so good. <laughs> then you're like, oh, um, actually, I, I forgot all the sacks. It's like, oh, okay, well, let me watch those real quick. It can't take that long. It's just six games. It's like there's 34 plays. <laughs> what? Like how? No. Um, so it, it's that significant of like a upside downside thing with them. Um, man, it's it, the, the thing is, though, when you look at if I was to put together a game plan, it's like, okay, well, how do you avoid uh, pass pressure? You don't pass. You run the football. Right. And the Giants are giving up a league second worst 147 and a half yards per game. So uh, the Broncos are giving up 172 a game. Uh, the Giants are giving up 147. The Panthers are giving up 144. And Logan, what do all three of those teams have in common? They're not good at football. Also, they play the Miami Dolphins. So that say. probably, well, they, that so they probably has Miami, something to do with it. They play the Miami Dolphins, who runs the ball a ton. They play the San Francisco 49ers, who run the ball a ton. I forget who else is on their schedule, but there's another team in there that you're like, the, uh, Seattle likes to run the football a lot. They have a very, I think they're like fifth in the NFL in terms of run frequency. So yeah. a lot of those teams are going to run the ball a lot. And for whatever reason, I cannot articulate why. I think it's because they're a little bit all over the place. They do have a hard time fitting counter and like GT. So counter is obviously like when, you know, you pull the guard, he kicks out and you have a fullback that leads up on the linebacker. And I don't know if it's just because they're so aggressive. They have a really hard time fitting that. So when you look yeah, at their five, one a carry. So it's not just like the totals of they've, they've been down in games and chasing. Yeah. Like they're giving up five, one a carry. And I was going to say worst in the league. Also, yeah, they do. They have seen more runs than any other team, I think, in the NFL up to this point because of the game flow like you're talking about. They see, I think it's like almost 50%, which is very high. So, But what I was going to say is that they have a hard time with counters. And if you are a Washington fan, you should be like, oh, this is great because one of the team's best runs is counters and GT. So I would expect to see that quite a bit early and often from this team because from the commanders because, again, they have a hard time fitting it. So let's take advantage of it. Also, um, quarterback scrambles tend to kill this team because of the pressure that they bring um, if the quarterback gets out of the pocket or they can't contain it. So that's another reason why that number is inflated. But uh, yeah, for whatever reason, they have a hard time stopping the run. And again, we talked about how they've played a lot of teams that are very proficient at running the football. But I think it's um, I definitely think it, this is this was a, this has been a trend since when Scott in there. It's not something uh, exclusive to this year. So that begs the question, like, you know, we, we spent time earlier this week on the previous pod and, you know, I've been talking about it all week. We've talked about this offline as well. Like the commanders are not a team that's built around the football. This is not who they are. This yeah. is not what they want to do. They didn't practice it uh, with the frequency that uh, a lot of other teams that are built around the football uh, would in the spring and in the summer. Like they, they don't scheme it up in the same way that that a Shanahan or a McDaniel or a whoever, a Ben Johnson in Detroit does. Right. Like they line up, they run their runs, and they hope for the best. And and really, they pass to set up the run. Game. If you're if you're like 
you know, I don't want to say scheme agnostic, but like approach agnostic, you'd probably come into this game and be like, all right, what do the giants not do? Well, let's run the football, but it, the commanders are not approach agnostic. They're a pass to set up the run team. Sure. Do you go against your identity and try to be like, Hey, we're running the football this week. Or do you, do you try to do what you do and, and hope that you can get the game flow where you want it. And then you can run the football pretty well. Yeah, so to me, I think this is a it's a game, and you mentioned it, game flow, where I think it's all about managing risk and managing the defense's impact on your offense. And so, if I'm if I'm EB, if I'm Ron, I can take a more conservative approach here, and I can run the ball. You know, we talked again about their third down efficiency, how that's led to kind of that's aided or affected by you know for like a, a relatively poor efficiency on first and second down. I think in this game. That's okay, and I know I've said that before, but in this game, because the offense for the Giants is so sluggish at the moment, I think you just want to manage this game, you know, as best you can, and limit Wink's ability, you know, to kind of impact the game with turnovers and sacks and affecting field position in a negative way. So I would say, yeah, I would say you want to go against type a little bit, just because, you know, we talked about Chicago. And uh, Chicago is a totally different animal than this. And I think a lot of fans are going to classify them together because they think they're not good football teams. But Chicago had this ability to pass protect and create explosive plays, to consistently create explosive plays with DJ Moore. Their running game was very efficient. Uh, Justin Fields, say what you want about him, as an explosive runner, also as an explosive passer down the field. And for when you look at that dynamic, there was a little bit of concern that if they got in this rhythm, that you would have to kind of play catch up. When you watch the Giants offense, there's not that same pressure or not even that same precedent that exists. So if I'm EB, I'm saying, okay, I need the number one thing in this game is managing pressure, right? One of the best ways to do that is to run the football. And again, stay ahead of the sticks and all those kind of analytical things that we've talked about and analytics and analytics driven kind of approaches to football. But I'd say that becomes the priority for me is just saying, how do we take take Sam out of these situations that are very challenging for him? And one of the ways is run the football efficiently. So I'm going to probably spend a little bit more time and energy this week of making sure we feel really, really good about that element of our game. And yes, you're going to have to throw the football, but I want to see a slightly higher frequency of running the football so that I can. I Sam isn't always dealing with you know, I'm in the, I'm in the gun. It's empty. Um, we got a little bit of motion by the back. Are they in man? Looks like they're in man. Let's go on dummy cadence. Are they pressuring? Let's get the pressure retarget. Like that's just a lot for him to deal with. And he's going to have to do that. No doubt. But instead yeah, of having, to do some of it, but instead of him having to do it 35 to 40 times a game, like if we can get that number down in like the twenties, I would feel a lot better about it just from a, a risk management management perspective. And again, I don't think just, again, I don't think the giants, in they're they're an NFL team and they have explosive playmakers, but I don't think they can be they can affect this game as much with their offense as they can with their defense. So it's I feel like as the coordinator, it's your job to manage that risk assessment and make sure you can stay in the game. No, I totally agree with that. And like, there's some stuff that you know I think situationally too, you might even take some uh, pages out of the Bears playbook. Like if it's third and seven, draws on the table. Yeah, do like it. you can't be afraid to punt. You should be afraid of sack fumbles. You should be afraid of interceptions. Right. Like you should be afraid of that stuff. And so again, that's not like take no risks or don't oh, take yeah. an average. Right. Like 
at third and seven, oh well, screw it. Uh, let's just let's just run a, a duo, and you know, <laughs> if we get seven yards, great. If not, we'll just punt it. That's not what I'm saying, but like you know, if they're loading up a blitz every once in a while, keep them honest. Like, yeah, you know, that goes exactly what the Bears did. Uh, well, I mean, and I guess they did it against some lighter boxes um, that Washington presented, but like. Don't be afraid to run the ball on a on a weird third down down in distance when you think Wink's going to bring the house. Like let them all run by you, and then San Antonio Gibson up on a draw play, or right. you know, obviously the screen game is something that teams seem to be on for them. But can you place one on first and second down, perhaps that that's not quite as obvious, and get some big plays that way where the ball is kind of predetermined to come out of Sam's hand uh, in a way that takes advantage of the Giants' aggression. So like there are things EB can obviously do and probably will do to try to combat that. But then also if you can just stay out of the bad down and distances in the first place, then wink doesn't have quite the chance to scheme up all these crazy exotic blitzes where there's exposure on the back end that you hope is not an issue because your pressure gets home. Um, if you block it up, then like, yeah, there's, there's opportunities there. Um, and I, and I think another thing too, is like, can you use some of the quick game stuff, obviously to achieve those goals, but also to get some of these guys involved. You know, we've talked about, uh, Jahan, and it seems like that that narrative almost took off too much this week. Yeah, um, where everybody was doing the deep dive into Jahan, and all of a sudden that you look at the numbers, and it's like, oh, his target percentage is basically the exact same as last year. Right. His catches are right on target for last year. Obviously, you want to see growth. That's what. Yeah. That's that's why people are like, what's going on with Jahan? But can you get him an early easy touch or two? Um, can you continue to do what you've been doing recently with Terry? Obviously, Curtis is going to get his touches within the game plan. Like, can you get these guys involved quickly, early? in a way that limits uh, exposure of Sam and also get your playmakers involved and keeps you out about bad down and distance. Like that's, that's the that's easy the, analysis, yeah. but it's like, how do you actually do that is obviously that's why EB's got his job. And I talk into this microphone and not a headset. Yeah. And I think that's good high level analysis. Cause like, that's the crux of the whole thing. It's like, and then obviously the how is really important. And you could talk about, you mentioned some of the things, screens, draws, quick game, again efficiency on first and second down you're not running the ball every first down we're not saying to do that but finding a balanced game flow so that you're in a third and three and you're not going to get this exotic craziness in the back end and if and if you are in the back if you are getting this exotic craziness like make sure sam understands where the answers are like what you're looking for versus certain pressures like all that stuff is layered in here and it's not you know, they, like they, there's a reason that they start prepping for these games on Monday. It's because they have to kind of cover and check all these boxes as they go through it. But um, yeah, I think that's 100% right. It's it's because of the structure of the Giants, it just becomes more important offensively just to manage some of the risk that you would incur otherwise. And I think EB, like when he calls games, seems to be okay with a higher level of risk than a lot of play callers because of, uh, and it's not his fault necessarily, it's just because of how Sam plays the game right now. But he seems to be okay with that. And I'm okay with that too because I think you're getting the best – you're getting a good quarterback play. The offense is uh, being effective. But in this game, I would just say, hey, let's pull that back a little bit, right, and make sure that we're not going to let the Giants' defense win the game. You mentioned sack force fumbles. You mentioned interceptions. Like all mm -hmm. – that's, that's what you're contending with. And so I want to manage that, limit those opportunities as much as I can because – I, we're going to talk about the Giants offense here in a second. I don't think they're good enough to beat you right now. Yeah, no, I agree with that. 
Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Let's focus in on Sam just real quick before we talk about that Giants offense. Um, what is a successful day for Sam Howe on Sunday? Yeah, I mean, I think I've just been super impressed with Sam generally this year. Obviously, there's the Bills game, which was tough. But I think on the season, yeah. you think, man, like he can kind of his arm talent, his release, his athleticism, his competitiveness, all those things are excellent. So for me, I think it's just doing what he did in that Eagles game. To me, that's been his best game is just taking what the defense is giving you. Don't press. Don't try to force the ball downfield. If it's there on third and six, throw the out. You know, like don't don't try to be Superman. And I think versus this defense, you're going to get some opportunities just to kind of take what they're giving you. And again, this is, this is another thing that's interesting. Like when you watch the San Francisco game, for example, like Wink tried to heat up Brock Purdy a little bit and obviously to his detriment. But one of the things I'd point out is that like Brock Purdy had to make some plays versus all out pressure, like what you would call like engage eight, you know, if you're a Madden fan yeah. and then, you know, kind of buy some time, feather away and then deliver a strike. And I think if Sam can walk that balance between it's time to make a play and it's time to play within the context of the offense effectively. And again, that's what makes a good quarterback is understanding when it's time, the time and place to do that. Um, <clears throat> I think I think that's that would be a successful day for me. Like him growing as a player and showing the maturity he showed against the Eagles game and again against the Falcons too. And also knowing when it's time to to press a little bit and and hang in the pocket a little bit longer and deliver that strike. And that's something that only comes with time and experience, but for me that's kind of what I'll be looking for in this game specifically is how do you handle the pressure and um and how do you make big boy kind of NFL quarterback decisions under pressure? So yeah. And how do you avoid catastrophic mistakes? Like, yeah. um, you know, one of the things that I used to say when talking about Kirk, when I was on the beat back in the day is, you know, Kirk early in his career, as you well know, cause you were on the field for many of these, like he was a turnover machine. Like he yeah. was throwing interceptions all over the damn place. And eventually Sean and Jay got him to a point where like his mistakes were incompletions or right. like his mistakes were like, I checked the ball down when I had a touchdown. And you're right. like, Dude, it's wide open. And like, that's a little bit what Sam needs to go through right now is like, how do you limit the catastrophic mistakes? And he's going through it already. Like we haven't seen the stuff that was in the bills game necessarily um, since the bills game there, there's been continued growth, even if there are is still the sack issue. But, you know, I think you see alternatively last week with Atlanta, just getting the ball out of your hands sometimes is not a good thing. Like you're better off taking a sack than doing what Desmond Ritter was doing, which was freaking out at pressure, throwing the ball up and throwing it right to the the wrong Jersey. So 
like, yeah, the sacks need to be fixed because this is completely unsustainable from not just like a play situation, but from an injury management situation, whether he were mm-hmm. to get knocked out fully or to get dinged and, and not play as well as he has been. But it is better than just like, ah, there's pressure coming, throw the ball up in the air or do something, you know, rush a throw, do something silly. Um, so where is where is that balance? And I think continued growth in that area is is what I'm looking for week in, week out at this point on kind of the long-term process with Sam. I agree. Um, and then the other thing too that, I, this is my last question for you on Sam and, and the offense is where can he escape? Because since the Arizona game, when he had the sack fumble return for touchdown, yeah. he has not really tried to escape out of the back of the pocket. It's like someone told him like, Hey man, that's why you don't do that in the NFL. And he's right. like, okay, got it. And then he'll try to escape up in the pocket and it's not particularly gone. Well, he's run into a lot of sacks. How does he use his mobility? Because he is a, a good runner, and even if he needs to slide a little bit more, probably for everyone's liking. But like he'll get you some yards, and obviously picking up a few yards, or at least being able to extend the play outside the pocket and look, keep your eyes downfield, is better than a sack. So where where are the avenues, the alleys for him to escape the pocket with his legs, whether that's to run or to throw? Yeah, so I think that's a really interesting question, um, and one that's kind of complicated. So one, I would say that. Um, you know, like there's this thing that young quarterbacks do is they think they're better athletes than they are compared to the talent that they're going against. Because in college, like Sam was excellent at escaping and finding avenues and outrunning defensive ends. But I also think there's needs to be an understanding that, hey, man, like all these defensive linemen, even the big ones are running sub 540s. Like they are fast and they are big and they're athletic. And so I think fans also need to understand that, that escaping the pocket is not like an easy thing to do. It's right. not, especially with the inside, like London Fletcher brought this up the other day. He was in studio and he was like, you know, one of the things I see with defensive lines is they're doing like what they call like a, like a, a mush, a mush rush, which basically is like, instead of like trying to be creative and, you know, attack edges, they just say, we're going to bull the offensive line back, kind of collapse the pocket and then shrink a throwing windows, but also shrink escape opportunities. Right. And so they especially experienced players like you see Calais do this, which I thought was great by him. He's bullying the guard back and Sam's in a good position, but he's got eyes to the quarterback and hit and in his mind, Calais's mind, like the clock goes off. He's like, the quarterback's going to scramble. Sam scrambles. He sheds the block and makes a sack. And it's not that Cosme lost the block because Sam's running up to escape the pocket and takes a sack. So I do think that fans need to understand that teams are rushing him in a specific way. And it's also based on his athletic profile those escape opportunities are, unless they can create some width and separation in the pocket or move the pocket, are not going to be as ready as like people want to say. Like, for example, I'm watching the game with you know, um, you know, B. Mitch or Santana, and they're always like, "Oh, he's got to run there." And I'm like, I think if he tries to run there, that's going to be a sack because of how they've constricted the pocket. And so uh, I think fans just need to keep that in mind. And so what I would say, what I would like to see more of is on these deep throw opportunities is instead of saying, hey, throw the ball or escape the pocket, maybe it's throw the ball and then here's a check down. Here's a crosser. Here's a here's a sit uh, that alleviates some of that pressure for him to kind of have to beat these better athletes and get to space. And I'm not saying he can't do it because he's shown an ability like when he has space and when he has right. opportunity to, to make a play. But I don't think that needs to – that shouldn't be – it needs to be utilized the way Daniel Jones utilizes it. And if you watch Daniel Jones, he's very rarely 
escaping vertically into the pocket, like unless there's a huge chasm of a lane there. And I think that's something, again, that coincides with that decision-making stuff we were talking about. You need to learn when and where, when and where you can escape the pocket to be most advantageous for you. Yeah. And I think what you see in veteran quarterbacks, like Russell Wilson's great at this and right. has been forever. Daniel Jones is actually very good at this as well is like, can you move a little bit within the pocket and let a guy blow by? And then you got an open right. side, right? Right. Like the reason it's so dangerous when chase like gets pushed too far upfield and the times that we've talked about that, for instance, um, is because then all of a sudden you do really have that space to run. It's not necessarily vertical in the pocket, but like where's the lane to escape? It's after a little shuffle here, set, step up there, stay within the pocket. All of a sudden, your tackle is able to push a defensive end 15 yards upfield. They go loop around uh, you know, to the other side to come and get you. Well, they've vacated a side, and you can get out. And that's when you see some of those, like, let me run lateral to line of scrimmage and see if I can extend the play down the field. Right. Or depending on the coverage and the route concepts, perhaps there's 10 yards of space. And that's a and great so, point by yeah. you because it's like he's not – compared to other people in the NFL, he's not really good at that subtle pocket movement. It's like drop. And then I'm like demonstrably escaping the pocket. But I think you bring right. up a good point that some of those he gets guys stuck like yeah. that, that we've seen that how often this year where he drops, he gets to the top of his drop and then he stands there. And, and like, I'd imagine fans just watching. And even if you don't know football on like that level, right. if you've just watched it as a fan for your whole life, you go, uh, the, like a quarterback's not supposed to be standing there like that. Right. Like it's, he's literally a stationary target. No. Yeah. I think that's a hundred percent. Right. And in college, like he didn't have to do that really. He didn't have to move around and be creative and do all this stuff. Like, cause his all O line was pretty good and they did a good job of keeping him insulated. And that's not the NFL. That's not pocket awareness in the NFL. Like look at Tom Brady or Peyton Manning or anybody, right. They do such a good job of, subtle movements in the pocket to create space and give them opportunities to throw and talk about stuff that needs to happen and he needs to mature at. That's one of the things that needs to get better. So, yeah. um, you know, I think it'll come, it'll come with time, but it's all of this stuff that we're talking about, you know, the throws, the escapism, the taking sacks that comes hopefully with experience and hopefully it gets better each and every week. And I do think he has improved with a lot of this stuff. It's just about yeah. continuing, continuing that progression. And I do think um, back to one of the points you made in the middle there, like EB can help him out a little bit more with some some easier escape routes with his arm. Like, hey, man, if you're in trouble, you know where your check down is. You know right. where this little sit route over the ball is. Um, because like we've talked about, there seems to not really be a full trust with the receivers, with the concepts, with some of these down the field throws because they're open if he would throw with anticipation, but he's not there yet in his progression as a player. And so how do you say, okay, man, if you miss, if you miss the anticipation throw and supposed to having to make another downfield throw, cause everyone's 12 to 20 yards down the field, here's an easy check down. Here's an right. easy five yard over the ball. And so, um, hopefully some of that stuff continues to emerge in the offense and he can find that. And, um, obviously that can also be mixed in with, you know, Gibson's got to get out a little bit faster when he chips or things like that. Um, so those get those get real complicated, but so, you know, obviously there's a there's a role to play for everybody. That's the role of Sam. That's the role of the play caller. That's the role of the receivers. That's the role of everybody, uh, which we've talked about at length. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports. That's Logan Paulson. I'm Craig Hoffman. Coming out with us at Tap Sports Bar, MGM National Harbor. This Sunday, doors open at 11, but you can listen, of course, on your way over because the show starts at 10, the show, the Take Command pregame show, getting you ready 
for Commanders and Giants on 106.7 The Fan and the Team 980. Streams live on YouTube and the free Odyssey app as well. All right, Logan, the Giants offense. Simply put, it's not good. Uh, And it starts up front. Um, They've got some dangerous playmakers, which, uh, you know, that's, that's the NFL. But what makes this Giants offense so far this year Knock on wood, do not jinx it, yada, 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 voodoo. Ah, now no one can blame me for the announcer jinx. What has made it so bad through six games? I mean, I really think the biggest difference between last year and this year when looking at the Giants is is the offensive line play, right? Quite, quite frankly, like they, I don't want to say they can't do anything, but it's close. Like you watch some of the games, especially against better pass rushing groups like San Francisco, like I felt so bad for Daniel Jones. Like he was getting pressure on on swing routes. Like what is that? Like that's just not a tenable solution in the NFL. So you want to talk about the playmakers? Darren Waller, great football player, one of my favorite in the NFL, right? And he just again seems to not be on the same page with um, Daniel Jones. But I think also that's because Daniel Jones's process is so accelerated. Wondell Robinson, I think you said he was hurt, right, Craig? Um, uh, yeah, he was a limited, no, he was a DMP. I beg your pardon in practice yeah. yesterday. Uh, we taped this just so people know if you're new to the pod, we taped this on Thursday morning. So Wednesday he was a DMP in practice. So again, like a very talented guy, like one of those guys you say, man, this guy could be an elite slot player. Slayton is kind of that explosive playmaker. Um, Hyatt is an explosive playmaker. You watch the Arizona game. I mean, he's the reason they're back in that game damn near because he's hitting all these explosive plays. Daniel Jones, I mean, you know, they have 18 explosive runs on the season. I think they're 11th in the NFL in explosive runs. They're all, half of them are Daniel Jones scrambling. So they do have weapons. I think the problem is they can't access anything down the field. Like they just can't at the moment. Um, so what they do to kind of manage the pass protection is they boot a lot. So like the stuff you saw Atlanta do where they're, you know, they're faking run action one way, they're taking that big looping drop by the quarterback to get him to the perimeter. They're kind of having the field and giving him a three level throw like that. That's what they did a ton last year with Daniel Jones. And, um, you know, Tyrod Taylor did it a ton against Buffalo. The quarterback can then run. He can throw. It gives them opportunities. They protect that in a different way that's kind of unique to Atlanta. They actually leave a blocker over there. Excuse me. And um, and so that's kind of what their offense is. It's, it's that. Because when they try to run the ball, it's been very inefficient, especially against better defensive groups. They just don't stack up in the front very well. And it shows you the importance of having good offensive line play. And you hear analysts like uh um, what analytics people who you know are very kind of pro skill position you know acquisition in terms of how that insulates the offensive line using this as a data point for saying we have overvalued skill position guys in relation to the offense like this is the case study this is happening right now before our eyes and it's not that they haven't valued Offensive line. They've invested John Michael Schmitz at center. They've got they Evan did a Neal. bad job with the picks. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, at least so like, far. Yeah, so I think that, and again, uh, Evan Neal is playing better, but definitely not up to kind of a competitive standard at right tackle. Obviously, um, and, uh, not Mark Andrew Andrews. Thomas is Andrew out. Thomas is tackle. out. He's excellent, but he hasn't been playing. So they're on their yeah. third. Left tackle. My guy, Justin Pugh. Was it Syracuse with him back in the day? (laughs) But again, Uh, he's straight off the couch, baby. (laughs) He's straight off the couch. And they've got both their backup guards in. I think um, 
McClellan, McClendon, I forget, he's from North Carolina. He played with Sam Howe. I think he's got a lot of potential, but he's still extremely raw and green and is one of the worst graded guards in the NFL, but, I, you know, is going to develop. But again, that's kind of their group. Like, Evan Neal is one of the worst graded right tackles in the NFL. Their right guard is the worst rated, rated right guard in the NFL. Their starting center was the guy who was starting at right guard for them and has moved into that spot. Like, they have talented pieces, but they're all very young, and I think they can develop. But at this point of the year, they don't. So if I'm Jack, if I'm Ron, if I'm this defensive staff, I'm saying we have to win with our front. We have to, right, front four. But I'm also, to ensure that we do win, I'm making sure I'm bringing a little bit more pressure than I want to because they are so disrupted in that front that it affects everything in the back end and I, I know it sounds like we're maybe being hyperbolic here but when you watch games with them it's like they cannot function at the base level of offense for the majority of the game because the offensive line's playing so poorly yeah and they're not good and the guys that are playing like they're not good probably to begin with although if thomas is out there and everyone's healthy like maybe it might be different okay, yes yes right but they're not they're not good to begin with they've got guys out and the guys that are playing are playing hurt like yes. it's a bad, bad formula for New York, and as good of an offensive mind as I think both of us think Brian Dable is, and Ken Dorsey, and uh, everyone that they got there. Or no, Kafka. Dorsey is back in, uh, yeah, in Buffalo Kafka. Like it's you, you can't operate this way. You just, you can't live this way in the NFL, and especially because it's also affecting the thing they want to do most, which is be able to run the football with Saquon. Like not only are they bad in pass pro and can't protect Tyrod Taylor or Daniel Jones. Um, they can't run the football either. So, like at that point, what do you do? Do you try to go with the quick game? Do you try to go this? Do you try to do that? It's like that's what they're know. doing. There's no, that's, there's no, there's no really good answers for this. That's what they're doing, and I think you're seeing a problem here that, um, that is that is interesting. It's like yes, those things manage pressure, but at some point, like we've talked about, you need to find an explosive play. You need something to get the defense to like back off you. It's like a fight, and the guy's just wailing on you. At some point, you need to do something. You can't just do head movement the whole time because you're going to get <laughs> clocked at some point, right? Like that's essentially what they're doing. It's like smoke and mirrors, screens, you know, uh, like, oh, let's get this ball out here. And at some point, the defense are just, we're not going to throw the ball deep. So we're just going to keep wailing on you. And they have found explosive plays in the pass game. They're ranked 31st in the NFL on explosive pass attempts. I think they have 15 on the year. And it's, so that's not a good number, right? Nope, like it's not, not it's not good. Not they, great, Bob. They haven't scored an offensive touchdown in the last three games. They have five on the year, which is the worst in the NFL. Like there, it's all there. It's all there. And one of the things about last year's Giants is they were they struggled on the offensive line. They didn't have elite playmakers, but their execution was excellent. And Daniel Jones was excellent at managing games, making good decisions with his legs keeping them involved in football games in a way that was very, very high, you know, and people wanted to kind of poo on him, but he was doing an excellent job, even though he didn't have like the kind of passing numbers to support it. His down to down decision-making was excellent. That has regressed a little bit, which we probably could have predicted. I think he's thrown more interceptions through six games than he threw all of last season. Again, not entirely on him because when you are someone, some, someone used to tell me this as analogy for football players, like, you, you walk through the door and someone hits you in the face with a two by four, eventually you're not going to walk through the door that fast anymore, right? It's just like you get, you've just been beaten down so badly. You're not going to do the basic things correctly. And I think that that is kind of where 
Daniel Jones is at. And so, you know, he may or may not play. I do think Tyrod Taylor has a little bit more like, like, I don't know how to say this, but like, forget screw about it. it. Yeah, screw yeah. it. There we go. Kind of mentality and is like running around and kind of doing whatever. And he pushes the football down the field a little bit more. There's a ton more variance to his game, ton more risk, but there's also a little bit more of that explosive element that kind of could give them some life. So it's it's a tough situation for the quarterback that's going to be back there it's going to be tough it's a tough position for the offensive skill position players because they are talented it's just they can't facilitate getting them the ball you hinted at this earlier um but i want to circle back on it and and underline it here you said you would blitz a little bit more than you want to i tend to agree with that that like it's really easy to look at this o-line and be like we should be able to kill them with right. four but I like the philosophy of let's make sure we kill them because yes. the other part of this is, is like, you don't really trust the quarterback, either one of them to like consistently beat you, yeah. especially if they're under pressure. So I would definitely, whether some of it's simulated, some of it's actual pressure, like you can mix it up, but I would definitely be bringing some random people and, and just making just, sure that the brain of whatever quarterback is back there is scrambled eggs because they are, uh, they're having to, figure out before every snap is this guy coming is that guy coming like you as good as the one-on-one matchups are uh if you don't have to think about it as a quarterback that's one obviously it's one less thing to worry about i would make them worry about that and i would make them worry about them that consistently even if a lot of it winds up being simulated and it's not even it's not even just the quarterback it's the offensive line like there there's right. a there's a beautiful thing about being in a rhythm and knowing what a defense is doing because i can set in a specific way i know where my help's coming but now all of a sudden before the snap it's like oh wait we've got oh there it looks like they're going to be an overload we got to make a loot call oh he's going to back out no that's actually a um like a three-man slide instead of a four-man slide and it just changes the mechanics in the down as the ball is getting snapped. And I think you can you can give advantages because if I'm thinking a lot, I'm a little bit slower and I'm a little bit less effective with my set and my physical execution. So I think as much as people, yes, if we just said line up our five versus their five, you know, like get in Cinco, line up and let it let it rip, we'd win some one-on-ones. But I want to make sure that those one-on-ones are easier to win. So I'm not saying blitz all the time. I'm not saying pull a wink Martindale. But I'm saying do enough to make those guys be like, man, I don't, I, I didn't see that guy. You know, I, I missed that protection. Yeah. I missed that. Well, call. and also, I'm glad you mentioned Cinco. That's another way you can do it without having to do anything really that fancy. Is like if you mix up your four and your five man fronts, and like you make them adjust down in and down out to alignments and who's on the field. Do we have four? Do we have five? Do we have three down? Like. You know, sometimes Chase and Montez are standing. Like even that might be enough to like make them really think about where people are coming from, and and you know, obviously, also it makes your run game more difficult, right? Like if yeah. if all of a sudden Tyrod or, or DJ has to think as a quarterback of where am I targeting this run, like make rundowns hard. And by the right. way, don't give up explosive plays to Saquon. That is the best way to lose this game is to let Saquon go nuts. Um, so yeah, I I, I think that's in. That on top of the blitz stuff um, and bringing linebackers and bringing DBs is is probably a smart play. Yeah, hundred percent. Even just switching out, like you mentioned, Cinco. Like even just getting into dime or nickel. Like I know that sounds like super basic, but when you've got a whole bunch of new guys working together, especially young guys, like one of the, things the Giants O line having yes, young guys working yes, together. Yeah, yeah, Giants. Like one of the things you run into is like who who's the linebacker in this look. And because we, in certain protections as the offensive line and blocking surface, I was a part of that, fullbacks, tight uh, running backs, 
it's like we are counting we are counting for specific numbers sometimes and specific per, uh, personnel groupings. So it's like, is thirty one a linebacker in this look? Oh no, it's he's actually the the safety because twenty two is on the field or twenty is on the field. So he's actually the linebacker. So even just doing stuff like that can cause a little bit of consternation. I'm really glad you brought up the Saquon thing because you made me think about this from last year. One of the things they did an excellent job of last year that they haven't done a good a, a good as job this year. And again, Saquon's been hurt a little bit with the ankle is they found creative ways to get him touches. I think they identified like he's our most explosive playmaker. Let's find ways that are a little bit unconventional to get him the ball to loosen up the coverage structures that in, in a way that we don't have to push the football down the field. Like I remember last year in the game in London they had, like they lined him up in the Wildcat and he had like a 70-yard run. And that's they found explosives like that, and I think they've gotten away from that a little bit. And if they and if Saquon's healthy, if he's feeling good, to your point, Craig, like don't let them utilize him in that way to kind of be that moving chess piece, because then that opens up Darren Waller, then that opens up Hyatt, then that opens up some of the other stuff we've been talking about, and then all of a sudden this game from a Giants perspective looks more much more advantageous if we can just manufacture six five explosives in this game right right all right anything else from either side of the ball uh to add to this uh preview uh, podcast i think that's it i think uh, the offensively handle the pressure dexter lawrence bobby okarake right because i keep wanting to Correct. call him but okarake and then um those are the big things off defensively offensively it's can you create pressure and limit their ability to sneak a big play because they do have explosive playmakers. It's just about doing your job in context and in conjunction with the rush. And I think that is really what this game comes down to. Yeah. Um, the do your job thing works a lot better when you got more talent, uh, you do your job, you should win. And, yeah. uh, that's hopefully what we'll see on Sunday. If somehow that was not enough. And I mean, really, honestly, who can get enough of this analysis? We got three <laughs> hours to talk about it on Sunday. We'll see you guys then for the take command pregame show post game should be back, uh, roughly 90 ish minutes after the end of the game as well. So the take command post game show will be live on YouTube at one Oh six, seven, the fan and at the team 980 then for logan i'm craig make sure you're subscribed if you have not done that like this video if you're watching it on youtube as well and we'll see you sunday for the pregame show uh here on take it.